Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast, version 274, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. We got a lot to discuss, man, because we got a lot of cool stories in the block that I want to get into. We've got Cowboys galore. We've got their first preseason game upcoming this weekend. We've got some joint practices. We've got what we've been thinking would happen with Tony Pollard that we need to dive into. So we'll have all of that. But before we get into any of that, as you know, Greening Law, man, these are our guys. Greening Law, the attorneys, the green team, they're my guys, like legitimate, because I've been using them. I've been working with them for over a year now. And if you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've been injured on the premises of a business, it's one of those things that it jars your world. And then the next thing you know, people are calling you, well, hey, would you want this, this, and this? And you go, what do I do? You call the green team and you let them handle it. You direct all those calls to your representation and let them take care of it. Because that's what they do. I mean, when they say they're the fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies, they really do take care of all that stuff for you. No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having somebody walk you through what can be a complicated, tedious process. And they're there to shine a light on all the things, as Matt would tell you, you didn't know you're supposed to ask. You know, like, I didn't know that I was supposed to know. They handle all of that. They set up doctor's appointments for you. They find the right doctors for you to go to. Uh, those are all the things that get you healed up while you're waiting for your settlement to come through. And then the most important thing is it doesn't cost anything to pick up the phone, give them a call, because they don't get paid unless you get paid. So they work hard for you. They grind for you because ultimately they're trying to win for you and for them. That's exactly right. They're easy to get a hold of, man. 972-934-8900. Your consultation, it's absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? Give them a call. Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. So you and I have had these conversations, I feel like a couple of times this offseason. It's obvious that Zeke and I, look, I will say I drafted him in fantasy for a reason. Those first five games last year, Zeke looked legit. The problem is you also got another running back on this team that I think at this point has proven that he deserves a lot of opportunities because he brings an explosion potential that Zeke just does not possess at this point in his career. And Tony Pollard does. And Tony Pollard is a guy that it feels like when you give him the ball at any given time, he's the dude that can bust one for you. And Zeke is like your grinder. Zeke will get those dirty yards for you. And you know what? 
there's a lot to be said sometimes when you got to shove yourself in and it's a third and two and you need those two yards and he gets 2.4. It may not look pretty, but it's huge to keep it going. But you also like having that dude where you can give him the ball and you're like, well, hell, man, Tony Pollard might bust it for 24 yards on this play. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And I think here's the only question, bro. And it's a legitimate question, no matter how much you like Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard wasn't the man in high school. He wasn't the man in college. And he ain't been the man at uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Look at his stats at Memphis. Yeah. He was a big play guy at Memphis. But never to the point where they were like, yo, you be the man. He's been a big play guy at Dallas. But never to the point where they're like, hey, you be the man. Um, if you talk to the people in the organization, there's still questions about how much can we give him the rock and still have him be an explosive player. Not just in September, October, November. We give him 17 touches a game in September. Will he be the same dude in November? Now, somebody might say, well, hell, how do you know unless you do it? But that's not, in a lot of ways, how the NFL works, especially if they got a guy like Zeke, who they do know, who they do like, who they do love. That's the balancing act, man. But uh, it's clear that he needs more opportunities. It's clear that he needs that he can bring something to the offense that Zeke doesn't. And it's clear that they got to figure out a way how to use their most explosive player. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, it's one of those things where they've got to figure this out. I don't know that he is a lead back, and, and I don't know that you want him to be, which is why, obviously, you're paying Zeke too much, and it's what it is. But you look at this, what is the Tony Pollard solution? What do you do with Tony Pollard to get the most out of him, to give him enough opportunities so that they can do something to take advantage of what he does. And, you know, it's interesting. There was an article in the morning news today by Michael Gelkin, who does some great work. And he talks about how they have not necessarily, you won't see him in practice working with the wide receivers. He's still working with the running backs, but that they have been taking him. Offensive quality control coach, his name's Kyle Valero, has been privately tutoring Tony Pollard on the slot position preparing him for potential responsibilities so that when he's not being used as a runner, they can keep him on the field and have some of those increased sets where we see Zeke on the field and we see Tony Pollard on the field. And it'll be really interesting because Pollard even has a quote in here where he talks about this and he he flat out says, talking about running from the slot, Pollard says, I have a pretty solid route tree out there. I'm pretty much going to run every route that they have out there on the script, whatever they ask from me, talking about using him as a receiver to the sl- in the slot. Dude, I mean, what? This is it, Okay, check this out, bro. It ain't that complicated, man. It's really not that complicated. He's one of your most explosive players. He has a skill set and the ability to run routes from the slot. You've seen him do it in college. You've seen him do it just a little bit in the NFL. You can give him that opportunity, man. He's going to get that opportunity. And I would like to just just go see what he can do, man. Go see, go video game him. Go see what he can do. Because every time we've seen him play, he seems to bring up big plays, man. He had a couple 20-yard receptions. Uh, I mean, he's just a versatile guy, big play guy. And this is an offense, especially this year, that needs him. So, hey, Kellen Moore, I ain't trying to hear nothing, bro. Figure out a way to get him involved. That's that's your only assignment. You got one job, bro. Figure out a way to get him involved. Yeah. Period. I agree. That's the goal, man. That's the goal of it. And, you know, you look at it, and, and Kellen has a quote in this article as well, talking about the need 
in saying that he's underutilized. He was kind of asked about that, and Moore says that's definitely fair. He's had a ton of success when he gets opportunities. I think the running back role is one thing. Certainly with Zeke and him can kind of tag team that role, but this is another opportunity for him to expand that role, play some different positions out in space, and some of those things that he's capable of doing. You know, and the the reality of it, it is, when you go and you look at him in college when he was at Memphis, he was a receiver almost as much as he was a runner. He had 139 career rushing attempts at Memphis. He had 104 career receptions. In average, 12.4 yards a catch on those receptions. And this is a team, keep in mind, Daryl Henderson was on this team. And Daryl Henderson, who was drafted higher than Pollard was, was kind of the guy that was more of the main back, almost like Zeke would be in this offense. But they still found a way at Memphis to get him on the field as his final year as a junior, 41 offensive snaps a game. That's what I'm talking about, bro. Last year, he averaged 25 snaps a game in Dallas. But think about it, man. 25 out of about 65 to 70 snaps a game. I mean, come on, man. That's not enough. Yeah, it was 35%. 35% of the offensive snaps last year. It's just not enough. He's got to carry the ball more. He's got to touch the ball more. It doesn't have to be carries. He's a big play guy. However you want him to touch it, let him touch it. But he needs to have the ball in his hands enough to do some damage because you can have a terrific offensive attack with him and Zeke doing their thing. Uh, You just got to be creative and figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, and again, and I I know Zeke was hurt, and, and it's an unfair comparison because of that. But when you look at this, I mean, last year, Pollard was averaging over six yards a touch, and Zeke was at four and a half. And again, it's, it's hard to put a lot of weight in that with what Zeke was going through last year. But the way that they balanced it out, Zeke had 284 touches, and Tony Pollard had 169 touches. I mean, to me, let, let's maybe take 30 away from Zeke and give those 30 to Tony Pollard to where, you know, Zeke is somewhere around 240, 250, if healthy, if healthy. And Tony Pollard's around 200 because the more opportunities you give that guy, the more explosive you can be. It should just be closer to 50-50. But here's the deal. Each one of them has, should have, you know, you don't have to be anal about it, but, you know, they should have roles and they should kind of know how they fit into the offense. And you just want to get guys involved, man. Having them both on the field at the same time is a good idea uh, because especially if you're going to use them in a the slot because it makes the defense commit to either an extra DB or an extra linebacker. And you can always motion out of that if you want to and take advantage of what they do because you got two runners in the game. Uh, Kellen Moore, we've praised him a lot for being creative. Um, People say that's his strong suit and that's his asset. Well, brother, we about to find out. Yeah. Because the time is now. Today's the day, as my boy says. Uh, My boy Cornell, who I work out with every morning, he's a chiropractor. He says that at the uh, in the middle of some workout when it's tough. Today's the day. Let's go. Today is and the that's, day. That's that's how I feel like Kelly Moore, man. Today's the day. Figure out how to get those cats involved, and give yourself the best opportunity to score points and win. Yeah. So we'll see if they can figure it out. But that is one of the things this season that I will be looking for. It it, it seems like you got a little bit more of that early on last year, and then obviously the Zeke injury threw everything out of whack, and they were using Tony Pollard more in the run game but I think that they I really do think that they want to make that a concerted effort and the fact that they have somebody who is dedicating time and is working with Tony Pollard to have a better understanding of that role here in Dallas then we'll see what comes of it but it's a necessity the other thing with okay I'm I'm gonna put you on the spot 
who do you th- what do you what would be a good season for Tony Pollard? Man, that's a really interesting question because I would like to see him not far off from where he was last year, quite honestly. I would like to see his receiving increase, which I think there's going to be an opportunity for that. See, this is so weird because with the healthy Zeke, and we're, are we getting game three Zeke from last year, whatever you want to call it, game four Zeke before he gets hurt, how much can you give to Tony Pollard where you're getting him on the field? Because last year he had 700 rushing and basically like 300 receiving him. He's a little over 1,000 yards total from scrimmage. I feel like that should be the floor. I want to see improvement on what he does with that. Like, like I'd love to see Tony Pollard. I mean, hell, Zeke's my fan, one of my fantasy backs, but it's what it is. I think Zeke might be at a point in his career where he's going to be better and fresher if you're using him less. Right. So I'm kind of in that 700 to 800 yards rushing for Pollard. And, you know, this is a dude, if you give him more opportunity, I think this can be a 1,500-yard from scrimmage guy. All right. That's a – I mean, I can see that. Like, uh, you know, I think some of that is getting him involved in the passing game. Right, right. Um, You know, and let him – he's a big play waiting to happen. So it's just a matter of can you do that and um, can you figure out a way to do it. I mean, to me, I want to see more of him on the field because quite honestly, especially with what they're going to throw out there for receiver in the first four games, I would much rather have, if you're going to throw Tolbert on one side and he's like your Gallup home run guy and you're going to put Lamb on the other side, I would rather see, I, honestly, I would rather Tony Pollard be your third receiver and put him in the slot and roll out there with Dalton Schultz and Zeke and use Zeke as your running back and Pollard as your slot receiver. Bro, that's the way to do it. That's what I think personally. But we'll see how the Cowboys think and what they decide to do with all of that. Now, the other thing with the Cowboys, of course, they had a joint practice with Denver today as we record this on Thursday. They're obviously in Denver for their preseason game, the first one of the year tomorrow. And by all accounts, and we're going to have Clarence E. Hill Jr. with the Fort Worth Star-Telegram jumping on with us on this version of the podcast. He was there in Dallas, or in Denver, excuse me, so we can directly ask him what we saw. But by all accounts, the Cowboys got their ass kicked. They fought multiple times. They got their ass kicked in the fights, and they got their ass kicked in the, in the practice. <laughs> Is that what it was, man? That's kind of like from everybody I saw that was out there, that's, you know, Chill and, and Mishota and, and all those guys that were covering it were – it did not sound like it went well for the Dallas Cowboys in the practice against Denver. That's, that's – Damn, when you say they lost the game and the fight, or the practice and the fight, that's just harsh, man. You should win one of the two. You would think so. But, again, like our our old friend John Owning kind of put out there on Twitter, and this is fair. He goes, all right, so the team that practices and is adjusted to elevation just beat the hell out of the team that does not practice and isn't used to elevation. I was like, okay, you know that. That sounds dangerously close to a cop-out. There is a little bit of, I think, fairness to that. All right, all right. I mean, now, I said a little bit of a cop-out. I'd say a full cop-out. I, I will say this. Apparently, Micah Parsons, who has made Terrence Steele look like a turnstile when they've been having Cowboys practices going up against Steele, did that right. to the Broncos' right tackle today and sacked Russell Wilson multiple times. <laughs> but uh, Micah Parsons is a freak, man. I don't know that there's – I mean, this guy, if this is true and he stays healthy, maybe maybe he gets the sack record this year. Dude, how about that? I hadn't thought about that. What's Harvey Martin's sack record? 20? For the Cowboys? I was talking about for NFL. Oh, shh. 
which is what, 22 and a half? Because TJ Watt tied it last year. Yeah, that's a lot of sacks, brother. That's a lot of sacks. But again, 17-game season, you get an extra one. Yeah, it's 22 and a half because Watt tied it, and then Strahan got it when Favre laid down. <laughs> Don't say it like that. What? He did. Literally, Brett Favre laid on the ground, and Strahan two-hand touched him and broke the record for sacks. <laughs> that's what happened. I know that's what happened, man, but you don't have to say it like that. He had the other 20. That it should never that should just never happen, man. I don't know. That should never be a thing. Brett Favre's a I I'm just going to leave Brett Favre alone. Although to be fair, this is a guy who estimates he had thousands of concussions in his life, and so if that's the truth, I mean, who knows what the hell's going on in Brett Favre's head when he did much of anything. Yeah. But I don't know what you like to me I don't again I guess my point with this is I don't know what you take away from a joint practice. It's like Ed Werder just posted posted on Twitter that, or no, it was Joe Trahan. Quote of the day from Neville Gallimore on the Denver altitude. After a couple of reps, the check engine light came on. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a great quote right there. That is a great quote, man. And you know what? Kind of expected in that environment. We also get the Cowboys' first preseason game of the season. It is coming up on Saturday night, and it is indeed in Denver. None of the starters, and, and we'll have to ask Chill for sure. As far as what I've been seeing, it, it sounds like, and we kind of talked about this other day, you may get three starters, maybe four, that play at all in this game. Yeah, this is a game for the backups, man, and the second stringers to uh, show what they can do and show you know, that they deserve a spot on the roster. It's 8 o'clock on Saturday night. I'm Oh, God, I hope this is on. I hope it's on NFL Network. It is on NFL Network. Thank God. Yes, I'll be able to watch it. <laughs> oh, that's good news. Well, hey, man, a preseason game? You think they're showing that around here? No. Although I'll be in Oxford, Mississippi. So I don't know. I'm just going to have to DVR it and watch it later because I don't know what the hell we'll be doing Saturday night. True that, true that. But again, like we talked about this the other day, there's 90 guys on the roster. 90. Okay, so like in in any given game, you're playing what fifty maybe, yeah. You know, including well, I mean, special teams. What happens is a game like this, you're like, okay, let me see what Boss Man Fat can do. Let me see what Nation Wright can do. Let me see what some of the uh, the backup defensive linemen can do. Let me see if any of the backup offensive linemen can play. Um, these receivers, you know, can uh, what's his name? Uh, the f- fifth round pick from. Uh, uh, Stanford last year. Oh, Fajoko. Yeah, Fajoko's been having a pretty intriguing camp. Can he take it to the game playing with the backup you know, quarterbacks? Uh, and to me, uh, he's been one of the more intriguing players in camp, along with the uh, guy, who is it, Dennis Houston? Yep, Houston. You know, been turning a lot of plays, heads. And we'll see you know, if they can carry it out. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You know, there are some things that I'm, I'm curious about seeing in the preseason game, and you just talked about a couple of the guys. I'm really curious about Kevontae Turpin because, again, that dude was the MVP of the USFL. He's got crazy speed. He was a really good returner at TCU, a really good returner in the USFL. I don't know how much weight we want to give that, but it sounds like he's going to make the team because they want somebody who can return kicks other than Tony Pollard and do it really well. Now that you've got, like, CeeDee Lamb as your stud number one wide receiver and what you're doing with Tony Pollard, you also don't want them returning a lot of kicks – so I'm kind of curious to see if what we saw in the USFL translates at all when he's out on the field with a lot of other guys that are NFL caliber, at least. Yeah, I mean, I think as a returner, you can just kind of do what you do. 
And so, um, you know, if he's an elite returner, it'll show uh, because those cats are born, man. You, you can Elite returner has been doing that since they were uh, playing Little League football, man. And uh, if he's got that and it was good enough to help make him MVP of the USFL, then that was one of the better pickups for the, for the Cowboys in this offseason. Now it's just a chance to see what he can really do with some, with some opportunities. Yeah, I'm also curious. I mean, again, and it goes back to the rookies. I mean, it always goes back to the rookies, but even in this draft class, you know, some of those things like Jalen Tolbert, who I imagine is going to get an opportunity, like the speed of Jalen Tolbert. You know, we talked about he had like 80 some odd catches in his collegiate career and averaged 17, 19 yards a catch, like something stupid. You know, right. does he have that type of speed? You know, maybe not Tyreek Hill, but like that type of speed where you can get behind the entire defense and just let Dak like air it out. Although it won't be Dak throwing it to him. But, you know, I'm looking at him. You know, I'm kind of curious, Sam Williams coming off the edge. Is it possible that they've discovered a guy who's got a little something and could be a nice rotational edge for them this year? The Arkansas kid, John Ridgway, who is a just a, a big, like, country strong, one of those, you know, backwoods out Arkansas dudes. I'm really curious to see him because if he can come in and do anything, then I feel like all of a sudden – You've got a really nice defensive tackle rotation with Gallimore, Odigizuwa, and potentially, you know, him just rotating in for whatever snaps a game you want to give him as a rookie in John Ridgeway. No, I mean, I think he's uh, he's one of those guys who is, what do we say, caught the coach's attention uh, during these first early uh, weeks of training camp and practices. And now, again, for all those guys, man, it's can you be consistent as you get deeper and deeper into the season and deeper and deeper into the preseason because uh, you're learning more, your body starts to get beat down. Can you, can you make it happen then? Now, of course, I just read something from Clarence Hill Jr. Uh, John Ridgway left uh, with the uh, training staff. Okay. All right, so maybe we don't see him. And, of course, look, I think we're all curious. Tyler Smith, what are we going to do on our podcast that we record for Monday if we come back after the preseason game and Tyler Smith gets called for three holding calls in the preseason game. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I will lose my mind. No, that'd be pretty bad. We'll have a big chuckle, but that'll be pretty bad. No, we, we'll have a chuckle, but if you've got this guy who struggled with penalties and we were told, oh, no, we looked at the tape, those penalties are easily avoidable, you know, that type of thing, and then he goes out and continues that trend in a preseason game? I mean, I get well, that it's not regular season, but come on, man. Like, there's a, there's a lot of pressure on Tyler Smith to live up to the billing. Yes, uh, I am going to be honest with you. First, um, first preseason game, I'm not going to go crazy because uh, it is the first preseason game. I will shake my head a little and throw a side eye over there, but uh, everything's got to be in perspective for a little bit. I'm, I'm just waiting to see what happens when the season starts. He can do whatever right now. But um, when the season starts, then he needs to be starting and he needs to be good. Yeah, I'll, I didn't I'll... say great. I just said good. We shall see. We shall see how it goes, but get ready for that. Saturday night, the Cowboys preseason, it is upon ye. Also upon ye, if you would like, you can open up a bag of bruised biltong. Like, what do you mean? I, I, I don't have any biltong. Well, then go to the website and order some. Bruisebiltong.com, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. It's like beef jerky, but it is not beef jerky. It is a traditional South African air-dried meat. I think it's better. I think it's more tender. I don't think it, 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 like it's legit more tender. I find it more savory. I love the flavor. 
And we work with Steve with Bruce Built Hunk. We are the only podcast he has ever sponsored. We are the only podcast he continues to sponsor. And that's because you guys out there enjoy it as much as we do. So if you are one of our newer listeners or you're coming back around because football season's coming up and you haven't tried your Bruce Biltong yet, you truly need to put it in an order for it because I think you're going to love it. Savory, succulent, delicious, low-cal, 240 calories in a two-ounce pouch. Also got a banging 30 grams of protein. Anybody that's trying to uh, watch their weight or, or eat a little healthier as they, as they work out, this is a snack for you. It's great in the middle of the day. Keeps those cravings away. I can't say enough good things about some Biltong, bro. Love it. I absolutely love Bruce Biltong. And you are go- you're going to like it. Trust me. We've had many of you that have ordered it, and you've enjoyed it as well. And the good news is, whether it's your first order or your fifth order or your 15th order, when you go to BruceBiltong.com and use the promo code JAM15 at checkout, you're going to get 15% off all orders. 15% off at BruceBiltong.com, promo code JAM15. Also, of course, podcast brought to you as always by Freeway Tire Shop, JR, his crew. If you live in the DFW area, if you live anywhere in North Texas, and maybe like, ah, oh, it might take me a while to get down there because it's really close to downtown Dallas. Cool. Would you rather dedicate some time to go to Freeway Tire Shop and know that the work you're getting done to your car you can trust? Or do you want to keep hopping around the different mechanics trying to figure out a guy you like? Nah, brother, you want to go somewhere you can trust, man. It's, it's really that simple. That's why I rock with JR. That's why he works on all my cars. And uh, it's because you can trust him, man. And it starts with diagnosing what's wrong with the car. Then it's about what kind of parts you use. You can trust him to use quality parts. Uh, he'll put down the invoice. Hey, man, uh, you can use this part. It costs this much. You use this part to cost that much. It's a little cheaper, but you might have the same problem in a year. If you use this, you probably won't have the problem again. So he'll give you the option, but his choices, his decisions usually go with the better part so we don't have to replace, we don't have to repair this again. Then, bro, how about this? You can trust him to get your fair price, and you can trust him to stand behind his work. That, to me, is a heck of a combination. That's why I ride with JR. Yeah, man. There it is. That, my friends, is where to go. Freeway Tire Shop. JR, his crew, make it happen. FreewayTireShop.com. You go there, you can schedule a quote, request your appointment. So let's take this trip around the block. And, and I will tell you this I've got another something for you to watch. But before we get to that, congratulations to all of you, all of our friends and family in the DFW area. The streak is over. It has come to an end 67 days without officially recording a drop of rain at DFW Airport was broken on Wednesday when they finally recorded rain and they recorded like a third of an inch. And I know my mom and dad were saying out in the Rockwell area, they got over an inch of rain and much, much needed rain, a lot of rain. Now, again, you need it to consistently rain, but rain, some rain is better than none. The second longest drought streak in DFW history, 67 days. Boy. Now, what's funny about that is I was headed out of town to Jackson when that started. I'm like, really? Hadn't rained here in forever and I got to leave town when it does? Uh, Because the last two times it rained, once I was in Birmingham and once I was in Jackson, hadn't seen any rain in Dallas, man. Uh, Dude. We need it, man. The, the, the grass is yellow <laughs> everywhere. It's, uh, man, even a third of an inch is a good thing. Third of an inch is when we're talking Unless about rain. you're trying to make love to your woman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would imagine that's very true. 
The other thing I wanted to throw out for you, and this is so weird. So, look, you know, we talk about Smokey John's all the time. We talk about how great their barbecue is. Yes. Well, a new study is out, and this is ranking the top cities in the country for barbecue. This is done by Clever, which calculated it by looking at 50 cities and weighing measurements, like the number of barbecue restaurants per capita and the distance between them, average Yelp ratings of barbecue restaurants, Google trend scores, and the number of major barbecue events scheduled in the next couple of years. Based on those factors, San Antonio is the number one place in the country for barbecue, according to this. Now, what's stupid about this... Okay, I was going to say, bro, I call BS on that. Well, here's the thing. Dallas came in at number 12, behind cities like San Jose, California, and Jacksonville, Florida. San Antonio and Austin were first and second on the list. Well, here's the problem, right? And, And this article points this out. The problem is they put a lot of weight on barbecue restaurants per capita. Well, a shit ton of people live in DFW, and they have a ridiculous amount of barbecue restaurants. San Antonio has 4.2 restaurants per 100,000. Austin has 4.7 per 100,000. Dallas has just 1.1. I mean, come on, man. So, I mean, what are we doing here? We need to do better. That's what we uh, that's much that's what I do know. We need to do better. Now, look, Nashville, stop. Las Vegas is number 5. What the, when you do this and you try to convince me that San Jose, Nashville, and Las Vegas are three of the top five barbecue cities in the country. I your list is you've eliminated your own list. Well, yeah, because there should be cities in Texas, cities in uh, Missouri with Kansas City. Kansas City is tenth. Memphis cities, is eleventh. I was gonna say cities in Tennessee like Memphis. Cities in North Carolina, um, you know, perhaps in Georgia, and maybe you can have one or two outliers, but we well, all know where the best barbecue is made. Raleigh, North Carolina, is fourteenth. Birmingham is sixth, which I will say there's some really damn good barbecue in this city. I mean, really damn good barbecue. But it's pork barbecue. It's different because Texas does all brisket and whatnot. Right. But, I mean, the barbecue here is legit. And I can tell you straight up, it's better than anything coming out of Nashville, and it's damn sure better than anything coming out of Las Vegas. How about San Jose? I mean, what? that's just dumb. Like, oh, you guys have more per 100,000, so it must be better. You can have a lot of shitty barbecue places. That doesn't mean just because you have a bunch of them that they're worth the crap. No, that's a that's a bad thing to base the, the genesis of your thing on. Bro. I agree, man. I, I just, I don't understand that at all because I think, I've no, I have been to Kansas City. I've had good barbecue in Kansas City. I've obviously been to Memphis, and in Memphis, I, I ate at a, a, one of the better Memphis barbecue spots, and it was good. But to me, I mean, Austin's got some really iconic, really good barbecue. But I do think that Dallas would be up there. I mean, I don't know that I've ever, I'm sure at some point in my life I ate barbecue in San Antonio, but I don't recall it doing anything to jump out at me like it would like in Austin or Dallas or even in Birmingham. I mean, to me, Whoa. those are the three best spots for barbecue. And like you said, North Carolina does a different style, but I, I like North Carolina barbecue a lot. I don't remember any barbecue. I mean, we spent all those summers... At training camp in San Antonio, I don't remember any barbecue places down there, except one, and it was nasty, and so I'm not going to mention it. What was it called? I'll tell you off the air. 
<laughs> All right. It was the McRib from McDonald's. <laughs> it tasted like it. Yeah, I don't know, man. It, it's like there's a there is a place now in Birmingham that has a location. It's called Rodney Scott's Barbecue. It's originally from North Carolina, and it is phenomenal. I mean, it is really, really good, and it's not technically an Alabama barbecue place. But he's got a couple of those around the region, and those are really, really good. And then What's their specialty? It, it's just, not, I, what did I have? I had, I probably got something with the Carolina-style barbecue. I must have just had like a pulled pork sandwich, I would guess. And it was really good. And then I had one of the ribs that, that was really good, and their sides were, I mean, it was fantastic. We always talk about going back there, but then we never do because we always end up going to Saws. Because Saws, to me, is the best barbecue in Alabama. Right, right, right. Like, a lot of people will come here as a pro tip. A lot of people will say that Dreamland Barbecue is the best, but that's, like, the most touristy one, like, the one that the tourists know. The original Dreamland's in Tuscaloosa, and people that are from around here understand the best barbecue in Tuscaloosa is not Dreamland, it's Archibald's. Because Archibald's ribs are just insane. Like, they're killer. So there you go. If you ever make it to Tuscaloosa, go there. If you ever come to Birmingham, go to Saws, but go to the one in Avondale. <laughs> All right. I'm just telling you, man, because that's where it's at. That is that is elite, good, good stuff. There's all, I mean, I don't know. All barbecue can be so different. Some places have good sides. Some places have good ribs, whatever. We talk about that sometimes. The other thing I wanted to bring up, because we just watched this movie on Monday night, and I, I highly, highly recommend it. It is 13 Lives. It's available on Prime. So if you have a Prime membership, it's free for you to watch. It is a Ron Howard movie. He, he directed it. Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell are the main two stars. Joel Edgerton is in this. It is the true story, if you'll remember a few years ago, of that little kid soccer team, or I, I guess yeah. I should say they were teenagers, that were trapped in a cave in Thailand for 18 days and this is the true story of what happened in the rescue of those boys, and it is riveting. Is it? What's the riveting part? Is it the? It's all of it, man. It's it's. You know, I I, I think we all kind of remember that that happened, but I don't really know a lot of the details about it. And apparently, Ron Howard they built a set to replicate like to the best that they could of what the caves were like of everything that happened and what they went through. And, and from what I understand, like, I mean, obviously in any movie, it can never be exactly 100% like the real life. Right. That would be called a documentary. But from what I understand, this is like 85 to 90% dead on the way that it happened, the characters and what everybody did, but just the sheer, like the, the heart of it, where they show the kids and then they show the rescuers trying to figure out how are we going to get these kids out? Like they're going to die in there and they show the families, but then they show the scenes of them swimming through the caves, trying to get to these kids and all this and how they're going to go about it. And there are times with they, what, the way they filmed it in the cave dives where you're like, Oh my God, like the, the guy's going to drown. He's going to get stuck. Like, Oh, this isn't, I mean, it's, it's intense. And the story is, I mean, it's just on another level. The story's insane. Not I remember it because they had to have like some super duper Navy SEAL type dudes swim through some crevices to get yeah, and take them out one by one. Yeah, man. Yeah, which, which is just insane. One of the cave, like the smallest part they had to squeeze through was 15 inches by 28 inches. I mean, how do you get through that? Bro? I have no idea. And, and keep in mind, 
when you're cave diving, it's not like just your normal self. I mean, you've got all your gear. You've got to have a headlamp on. You've got oxygen tanks that you're carrying with you. They were doing 12-hour round-trip cave dives. Jeez. Because that's how long these guys. So what happens is, and this doesn't ruin it for everybody. I mean, I'm just telling Again, it's a true story anyway. So you already know the outcome, unless you didn't know the story. Like, I didn't know if all the kids survived or not. And I won't say if they do. So I don't want to ruin the ending. But these kids went, and there was no water in the cave. And it was before monsoon season. And so there's a sign on the cave where they're like, oh, okay, well, monsoon season's still a couple of weeks away. It never happens in June. Well, they go like a, a couple of miles into the cave exploring, and it starts rain, like a monsoon hit. And in the cave, because of the amount of water and how much could get into the cave, it just flooded like almost immediately, and there's nothing they could do. So the way they walked back in there now was completely submerged. Okay, and... Um no, I might have to go watch it now, dude. I, I'm now, telling you, it's it's. What it's, I know is how did they how did they how did they know to look for them there? Because was one of the kids on the team decided not to go, and so when he they were hearing like what happened, where is everybody? That kid ran to the, all the other parents and was like, "They're in the caves. They're in the caves. They were going to go to the caves." And like their coach went with them and stuff, and they're like, "They're in the caves. That cave floods every year for like six months." And so they, I mean, from there, they realize they are in the caves. What do we do? And I mean, this whole rescue operation and the way that they came and how they start working to get them out. I mean, it is, the whole thing is fascinating. And it's Ron Howard. I mean, Ron Howard, who did Apollo 13, that a lot of people know more about, but it's done in that kind of style where it's almost like, you know, you'll remember we've got these guys, America and everybody is waiting with bated breath. And then in this other story, we've got these guys who are just trying to survive and they don't know if they're going to make it home. And then the third part of that is, hey, we've got some astronauts. We've got to make this fit into that. Here's your tools, that kind of a thing. And this movie is kind of shot and structured along the same thing where, you know, you have the heart part of it where everybody's waiting and trying to help and freaking out. You have the story of the kids who are trying to survive stuck in this cave and you got the story of the rescuers who are like, well, what the hell? How are we going to do this? I'm like, I don't know, but we got to figure it out or all those kids are going to die. Wow. It's that whole thing all brought together by Ron Howard. I mean, Ron Howard's a phenomenal director. He's, he's always going to be opie to me, bro. Yeah, that's what everybody always says. <laughs> everybody always talks about that with, with him. It's true, man. That he's it's... always going to be opie. Yeah. Yeah, sucks for him, but hey, it's what it is. Yeah, and I don't know that I have ever seen that show. What? I'm just telling you. Why? What, what am I going to do watching the Andy Griffith show? Wow. I mean, I probably saw a rerun of it or something at one point in my life, but I guarantee you I, if I did, I haven't seen it in 35 years. That's when TV was wholesome. That's when it was good. I mean, I, I'm, I've probably seen a couple of episodes of Happy Days. <laughs> God, how iconic of a dude are you if you were Opie on the Andy Griffith show and then you get cast and you're on Happy Days? It's Richie Cunningham. Yeah. Did you watch Happy Days? Was that a thing for you? Oh, oh. Hey. Yeah, of course I did. The Fonz? The Fonz, brother. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because I've seen he's been in a lot of movies, but he's been in more movies as like he started directing and his, I mean, man, he can direct. Oh yeah, I mean Ron Howard's the guy, bro. He's a he's a Hollywood icon. He's been doing it since he's like five years old. These are some of the movies that he's directed: Splash, Cocoon, Willow, 
the original Parenthood, Backdraft, Far and Away, The Paper, Apollo 13, Ransom, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Beautiful Mind, Cinderella Man, The Da Vinci Code Movies, Frost Nixon, Rush, Solo, Hillbilly Elegy, and finally 13 Lives. And that's just some of the movies he's directed. Wow. I mean, Fantastic. name one that sucks out of that list. You can't do it. Nah, he's a genius. He's pretty damn good. You know, what's funny is he used to, I can't remember how many that he's been in, but he used to, his brother, Clint Howard, is... I've never heard of that dude. He's an actor, and he is a goofy-looking dude. I mean, he is a goofy-looking man. He has been in, I don't, not like all of them, but he's been in a ton of movies that Ron Howard has directed. Like a lot of them. His brother. Yeah, he does. I don't, yeah, you looked him up, didn't you? (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah, he's a, he's a goofy looking dude. Wow. I, yeah, he, I don't even know else how to describe him. I'm just trying to be nice. He's got the whole bozo look going. Yeah, he looks insane. He looks like he would murder you and eat you. Bro. I don't know what to say. That's what he looks like. That's exactly right. He He literally looks looks like that. He looks like somebody who not only would kill you, but eat you and enjoy eating you and laugh while he was eating you. Yeah, that is a wow. Dude, he was in a movie. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I, I think it's just Ice Cream Man, like in the mid 90s, where he played something like that, where he was a deranged guy who had been released from like a mental hospital who opens an ice cream factory and used human flesh in his recipes. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. And Clint Howard's like the main guy, like the crazy, weird killer guy. And uh, like every time I see a picture of him, I go, "That's he probably wasn't acting in that role." Well, bro, you know what? He probably wasn't. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Look at that guy. And it's, a, I mean, that's Ron Howard's brother, man. Matter of fact, let me look up his birth chart to see if he's really playing himself. And then you discover that this guy has psychotic tendencies and is very likely to eat human flesh. I don't know. If you get a chance, seriously, going back to it, 13 Lives is really, 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 really good. Really good. So check it out, okay? Yeah, we will do. All right. You seem excited about it. No, I will. I'm, I'm looking up Clint Howard's birth chart. That's All right. Straight. Okay. The other one I wanted to throw this out for you because this, this blows my mind. But yes. the free diving world record has been set. Dude, that's incredible. The, I don't even know what it is, but all I can think of is, oh, I can go about five feet deep before my Yeah, think about first. that, right? So, like, maybe you can get to the bottom of a deep end of a pool, like 10, 12 feet, maybe, right? Right. This dude, some French di- diver named Arnaud, Arnaud Giraud. Arnaud Giraud. Arnaud. It's spelled Arnaud Gerald, but I imagine it's Arnaud. My name is Arnaud Gerald. I free dive. That is what I like to do. Oh, girls, you. So, 26 years old, listen to how deep he got. Again, free dive, okay? No, no apparatus to help you breathe. 393.7 feet. 393 feet and seven inches. 393 feet. Free dive in the ocean without his head exploding somehow. That's amazing. I'm trying to figure out what, you know, he must be like the stereotypical V. I don't know, man, but he, it took him three minutes and 34 seconds. So he had to hold his breath for three minutes and 34 seconds all the way down to 390, almost 394 feet. 
I guess they just throw a watch on you and see how deep you go. Yeah, I guess so. You'd figure it out. Or they, they I think, like, and they use, like, dead weights and whatnot that they'll clip to their belt so that they can, they can descend super fast. And then as oh. they need to rise, they, they clip all the, the little weights off of themselves so they can get back to the surface as quick as possible. Because keep in mind, like, the bends, the bends doesn't get to you unless you scuba. Like, that's, that's a compressed the bends? Oh, the bends. You don't want the bends. Bends can kill you. What is the bends? The bends is when that. you are scuba diving and you rise faster than you should. It just, it's inadequate decompression following exposure to increased pressure. So like a lot of the times they will tell you when you scuba dive is to try to, to come back to the surface and, and ascend as slowly as your slowest air bubble. But it can kill you. It's decompression sickness is what it is. But it's called, it's called like a lot of people refer to it as the bends. And if you get oh, the really? bends, you can get muscle pain, like really bad fatigue. The, if you get bends really bad, you can have symptoms similar to a stroke, like numbness, weakness, vertigo, chest pain, difficulty breathing, all kinds of stuff. Jeez. You don't want to mess with the bends, man. No, it don't sound like it, bro. But I will say, like, I've always been curious. I think it'd be fun to scuba dive. That's one thing that maybe when I get older, you know, because I think it'd be cool to go to the Caribbean or something like that. And if you knew how to scuba dive, because I enjoy snorkeling. So I think that being able to scuba dive and stuff like that would be kind of fun. No, I've always, I, I think I went snorkeling once. It was really cool. Um, it's something I would like to do again someday. I you should do it. Uh, I was going to say, I guess there's nothing stopping me except planning it. Nothing has to stop you now. <laughs> but you're right. You got to plan it. No, but that sounds like fun. I like now scuba diving. That sounds uh, I'm intrigued by that. I don't uh, Yeah. But I don't want to die underwater. So, you know. no, nobody. Nobody wants to die underwater. Come on. You know, I had like, my only my only my only real near death experience was underwater. So I'm a little like, eh, and then if that happens and you're in the ocean, probably a shark eats you or the fish just nibble you to death. God, no, that, that would drive me insane. I would hate to think that. Although then maybe it's cool because like my essentially it's not my ashes being spread. It's just pieces of me. But I'd be getting spread all over the ocean. Yeah. Fish feces. Exactly. I mean, why not? <laughs> that might work. That might be fun for all of us. So speaking of fun for all of us, HFX Foundation Solutions, they've got the answer. I know that foundation is not a lot of fun, but let's be honest here. With the amount of heat, and you guys in DFW are about to go through another string 100-degree days, watch your foundation. Seriously, like Aaron sends me an email like, hey, tell people they really need to pay attention for those signs because you're if it's, if it's happening, they're going to show up now. Cracks, sticking doors, sloped floor, the soil washout, especially with the deluge that some properties got in the last couple of days from the rain that hit all of a sudden. If you notice that soil washout, you could have some severe foundation problems. Maybe it's not severe. Maybe it's just the beginning of it. That's when you need to call HFX Foundation Solutions and have them come out. It's a free, no obligation inspection. They're local. They're family owned. They service all of DFW. It's something you don't want to mess with. Bro, there's nothing worse than hearing, oh, you got foundation problems. I mean, it's just something you don't even want to deal with. So pick up the phone, give Aaron and his crew a call at 817-770-0174 and let them give you the peace of mind that comes with, as we lovingly call, having a colonoscopy for your house. 
I mean, it's a way to give your house a one over. Hey, you're good. You can relax. Pop some bottles if you want. Because one thing you ain't got to worry about is foundation issues. Yeah, you nailed it. It's easy. Call them. 817-770-0174. HFX Foundation Solutions online at hfxfoundation.com. Also, of course, Smokey John's Barbecue. Have you tried the Jam Session Bowl yet? Have you swung by Smokey John's? Who, by the way, props to those guys, because Juan and Brent were just nominated as one of the finalists for the Big Sweet Award at the Texas State Fair this year. I haven't seen what it is, but I wouldn't be surprised if they win, because that's the level of what these guys are doing, man. Their food is fantastic, and the Jam Session Bowl is amazing. The ribs that they have are amazing. The brisket, the sausage, they're made from scratch mashed potatoes. They're made from scratch mac and cheese. You can order anything you want, even on the menu, and it's phenomenal. Bro, it's, you know, that jam session bowl, every time I have it, and I had one a couple weeks ago, sensational. It was so sensational, I almost went back and had it again. Wow. No, bro, because I was like, oh, I forgot how good this was. Uh, But I decided... I'm no longer, I don't want to be a fat guy, so I need to have it, you know, once every couple of months, not once every other week. But that being said, man, it's terrific. Y'all need to go try it. Seriously, I've yet to meet the person who tried it and didn't say it was sensational. Not it was pretty good. Not it was all right. Not it was, it was cool. No, it was sensational. So try it. Just go up and ask and be, watch. Hey, I want to jam such a bowl, please. And just watch the people around you go, huh? What, what is that? Especially when they start saying, well, what, what meats do you want it? Oh, I'll take a little brisket, a little sausage. People then go, hey, what do you want? Hey, you want all the toppings on there? Absolutely. A little extra sour cream for me. And uh, make sure you drizzle that sauce twice, not just once, twice for your boy. And just look at the stairs and you just walk around with that swag, man, knowing that you ordered off the secret menu and everybody else wishes they knew what you were talking about. There he is. The Jam Session Bowl. Only for Jam Session listeners. Only at Smokey John's. It's right there off Mockingbird, just north of downtown Dallas. So before we get into our phone call with Chill, did you see Antonio Brown's tweet? Bro. I mean, my God, this guy. And I can't say I'm surprised, but Antonio Brown throw up on Twitter. He goes, on his biggest regret, the biggest regret in my career doesn't involve, doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker. Or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet. Or throwing rocks at that UPS driver and definitely not taking off my shirt and doing a victory lap during the Jets game, mid-game, and throwing up deuces. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the game afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for you all to see something like that. Like watching the Beatles or Jesus perform at Red Rocks. Wow. What are we but, doing? You know, he does feel good about himself, and there's something to be said for that. Yeah, you know, I like the positivity, but you're not the Beatles. You you did nothing real original. You're certainly not like Jesus. <laughs> you're, you were a really good wide receiver, man. I mean, there were times where you reminded me of Des Bryant or somebody like that. That's what I thought when I was watching you play at times. I never right. thought, my God, my God, what is this guy? We've been graced with his presence. <laughs> I mean, 50 years from now, people are going to know who the Beatles are. 50 years from now, people are like, Antonio Brown, who the hell is that? Oh, he played in the NFL a long time ago. I think he's just, man, he's, he's just a dude who's having a hard time right now, bro. And uh, sadly, he's exhibiting 
that he's got some mental issues that normally these days we just associate with with uh, CTE and NFL because his behavior and his speech and everything seems so oddly different yeah. than what it was early in his career. And so, in a lot of ways, man, I feel uh, conflicted a bit because what he do, what he says and does sounds stupid. And so you're like, dude, really, you tripping? But then you wonder if there's just a larger issue, and you're just like, bro, you know. Yeah, I kind of wonder that as well. There's got to be something going on there. But then, I mean, the guy just has no self-awareness. Like, he strikes me as a colossal (laughs) narcissist. He's got none. (laughs) Like, he is the definition of narcissism. I I get that. I can see that. So, I mean, just the things that he does where he doesn't even realize that he's doing anything because narcissists don't realize it. They just do their thing, and it's always all about them. All right, it is time. It's been a while. We were just talking about that. We haven't had him on in a bit, but with the Cowboys back at it in training camp in Denver, practicing against the Broncos, getting ready for that first preseason game, we welcome back in from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Clarence E. Hill Jr. And chill, you're now in Denver. You were in Oxnard for a couple of weeks. With the Cowboys a couple of weeks into this thing, where do you put them right now two weeks into camp? There's nothing that wows you about the Cowboys except number 11. That's what I got to say. Wow. Number that 11, bad, number 11 huh? wows you. That I mean, bad. I mean, well, you know, Dak don't even want life. You know? I mean, Dak is workman life, and he does what he's supposed to do, but, I mean, there's nothing sudden of, 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 of anything about the offense that wows you right now. And they're going to have to find a way to do it a different way. You come an offense that was explosive and scoring 30 points a game, that, that's not this offense. Well, what offense is this? They, they're trying to do a run-first <laughs> offense and, and pick their spot. It's as bad as we thought it was going to be. I knew it. Are they trying to be a run-first offense because they ain't got no damn receivers? Well, that, that's one way of looking at it. But you got you know, you, you to find a, another way to move the ball when you don't have the receivers that you've had. And, you know, you know, C.D. Lamb is the only guy that makes chunk plays in the receiving core right now. And, and, and you know, watch the fight today, and everything was underneath except three balls of C.D. Lamb. You know, and, and Jalen Tobert had a chance to make a big play down the field and he dropped it. I mean, have, have they, are they still doing this thing where they feel like all the, I mean, you know this, and we talked about this in the podcast. I mean, you got CeeDee Lamb, the only other guy on the roster who's caught a pass in an NFL game is Noah Brown. Do they not feel any sense of maybe we should, and, and granted, there's not a lot available out there, but is, is there any idea that they're going to go get a veteran guy at some point? Well, I mean, the, the time to do it was in the spring. Uh, I think that they will make a move towards, you know, we cut down day. Somebody will get rid of receiver. Somebody will take loose somewhere that they at least, you know, have done it before. But, you know, there's not much out there. The T.Y. Hilton of the world and, and, and that as far as creative are concerned. But uh, I, I think it's the issue. It's a huge problem. You know, and we'll see because this offensive line is not road great. People are just going to run the ball down people's throats. It's, it's, it's just not the, the offensive line of the, of the, you know, the Jason Garrett era when he's, you know, you know early in the Ezekiel Elliott days. Marco, uh, the Marco Murray days, and they're certainly not their offensive line of the night. They were just going to run, you know, let people know you're going to run right down the throat so they got to take plays in the passing game. I was going to say, man, ain't nothing but old dudes, sorry dudes, and hurt dudes at receiver out there on the street these days. So let's talk about something positive. How about the defense? <laughs> Michael Parsons was a beast today. You know, he, he was a beast. And, you know, uh, he was all, he had maybe double digit sacks on, on uh, Russell Wilson today if they could, uh, if they, were, if they could touch the quarterback. But he's been a beast. He's been that way in training camp. Uh, that's what you like. Uh, Trevor Diggs did not practice. 
Ron Curtis did not practice. Outside of that, I mean, the Broncos made some plays. They scored some touchdowns. So the Cowboys only scored one touchdown. That was a, they first got past the CD line. It was down the field. But other than that, you know, they didn't, they didn't get in the end zone. The first string, the backup, you know, nobody. Not red zone, not two minutes, you know, none of that. But, uh, you know, again, you're, you're talking about the Cowboys, and they practice at 95 degrees. Uh, temperatures after being in 75 from, you know, much of California. The elevation was a problem. Gallimore said his chicken and the light came on. Uh, he didn't realize about the elevation and, and all of that. You know, there were a lot of number of different things, but, you know, again, those are excuses and, and, and you know, excuses don't mean much. I mean, both teams were out there playing. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, I, I would say the Broncos got the better of the Cowboys in that practice. When you look at this, and, and Steven and Jerry talked about this a lot in, in the opening training camp a couple of weeks ago, they, and I don't know if they're just trying to sell us some crack or what, what they're trying to do, but you look at this, and they talk about how much they like these young players, and they like their, their draft picks, and they like all these guys they brought in as undrafted free agents, and it really sounds like, in, in what you're talking about, whether it's defensively or offensively, they're going to be relying on a lot of guys that do not have NFL experience have any of those guys, have any of the draft picks kind of stood out at all so far? No, the thing about it is it's interesting that the best rookie receiver has not been a draft pick. You know, we love Jalen Tobin. They think Jalen Tobin has a chance special, you know, but it's been to the Houston. He was better today. He's running with the first team, undrafted receiver out of uh, West Illinois. Tyler Smith has been okay, you know. Uh, Sam Williams has been okay. I mean, uh, nobody just jumped off the page that you know. Well, as I try to find something else positive, how do you feel about Tony Pollard being used more in the slot and will they really do it? You know, it's not often I take this positive. I say it's not often I take this positive route, but I mean it's too early in the preseason for me to be negative. Uh, so, what's the question? How do you how do you view Tony Pollard in the slot and will they really give him an opportunity to run some routes out of there? Oh, I think they're going to give it opportunity. I don't know about running routes, but, you know, he's going to be doing jet sweeps and different things out of the backfield. You know, we've been talking about this since the spring. I mean, he's going to be one of the offensive slot receivers. But a, but a running back and receiver is not the answer to, to fix your receiver woke. You know, it, 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 I don't think that should be the main ingredient that can pass off this. That's a wrinkle. You know, that's a wrinkle to get Tony Pollard more touches. That should not be the, the bread and butter of your passing game. You know, uh the, the interesting thing about if you want to be positive with CD, I think they're going to use CD like Cooper Cup. They're going to move him around. He's going, he won't be just outside receiver. He's going to be in the slot a lot. He's going to be on the move, getting away from defense. A great opening for him. Uh, the touchdown today came on came, when he was, came out of motion and went downfield, had a nice move on the cornerback. Uh, but a lot of his stuff is going to be inside, come out of slot, not just lining up outside. I They're going to do things to free him up, kind of like the Rams do with Cooper Cup. That would be a very positive thing since Cooper Cup had a monster season last year. You brought up Tyler Smith. You said he's been okay. And, again, it's preseason. It's one game. But they had Connor McGovern listed ahead of him on the depth chart. I mean, is Tyler Smith going to start at some point? Well, I think that, yeah, I don't know why they're going through the motion because your first-round pick is going to be an indictment of you and him if he's not your opening day starter. I'm sorry. You can say what you want about Connor McGovern. I just like him and – Whatever else, but you don't pick him in the first round, and he's not your starter. You know, you know, you 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 pick out day day one in the first round to be a starter, and if he cannot overcome Connor McGovern, who couldn't beat out Connor Williams, that's a problem. You know, uh, and I think that just they're just doing this and making them earn it. They're just making them go through this in camp because I know when they when they do the uh, 
they still do the jumbo pullback offense and Conor McGovern's in the backfield. I mean, I don't think he's going to start your left guard then on goal line, put him in the backfield and put another guy in there. So you impressed with Tyler Smith? Am I what? Impressed with Tyler Smith. As a person, as a, as a story. I don't as, care as, about him as a person. I mean, well, I mean, no, no. I mean, I mean, I only care about him as a player, but you know, I, you know, I think he's a fine <laughs> young man. But I don't give a damn about him as a person. I want to know if he can road grade people. Well, I mean, I think he can road grade people, but he's not a finished product. I mean, and and, and, and you know, there's nothing he's done. He's got a couple of you know pancake blocks in practice. There's nothing that he's done that jumped off the page yet in practice. You know, watching off in the lives. I mean, like you know, he's not looking like this dude is walling people off and you know whatever else. He he's had his moments, good and bad. But again, you drafted in the first round for a reason. Put him out there. Cut the pretense. Put him out there. Do everything you can to get him ready to be your open day starter if he's that guy. And you don't draft him in the first round if you don't think he's that guy. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, this this whole team, and, and Jacques and I have been talking about this, you know, I'm not that surprised to hear what you're telling us, what you're seeing in camp, what you see in practice, because they ju- it feels like they have a lot of what-ifs. Like, I don't know what they did in the offseason where they, they got better. And Jerry said, oh, we're at a better spot than they were when we were here a year ago. I'm like, how? What, what did the Cowboys do to get better for 2022? I think they're better on defense. I think they can take a step on defense. I think because we, we, we talked so much about losing Brandon Gregory, but, you know, when you, you, when you add what, what they have now, um, you say they're in a better spot, you know, as, as far as their pass rush. Their pass rush is better. Anthony Barr, uh, to go with Dante Fowler, to go with Sam Williams, to go with a healthy uh, Demarcus Lawrence, to go with uh, Michael Parsons is going to be better than what he was. Uh, a defense line that they said have never got for healthy from the start of the season. The defense could be better. This is you know, it's funny. This is the last you know it, it, you know this team, the the strength of this team to me is the defense. All right. I mean that that well, they got to play to it, Dan. I was gonna say that could be good because, like you're talking about it, I don't know how much this offense is gonna be putting up points. No, they got to play to it. But but if you look at this team and, and you just went down the strongest units on this team, safety, linebacker, defensive line, uh, even cornerback with Andrew Brown playing lights out, and and, and Trevon Diggs coming off a pro pro season, all pro season. They're more questionable on offense than on defense. Yeah. All right. What's what are the three biggest questions on offense? Offensive line, certainly backup tackle. Uh, they don't have, you know, backup tackle. They're you know they, the Broncos are getting out today, and that, that's been a problem all camp. Uh, but the offensive line, uh, again, back receiver, receiver depth for sure. Uh, Playmakers at receiver, and the damn kicking game. They ain't got no kicker. What do you mean they brought Brett Maher in? He's had he, he has what four of the five longest field goals in Cowboys history. Come on, he was on the street for a reason. <laughs> That's the truth. Two weeks into camp, and he still didn't have a job until he got tired of Garibay. Listen, well, you know, the thing is, and it's another indictment because they they targeted Garibay. Garibay. You know, he was the guy, the only guy in camp in the camp in, in OTAs. You know, they really thought they were investing this rookie in Texas Tech, and you know, he was going to be the guy. You know, they brought in. Uh, Harold Lewis, you know, to start camp, but you know, you know, to not wear his leg out in competition. But no one thought that Garibay was fit, fit like he did. I didn't like the kicking situation from the jump, man. On a year where you where your offense is struggling, this is the year where you need a kicker you can count on. 
not the year to go in. Ah, we'll figure it out. A couple of rookies, we'll figure it out as we go. They made a lot of curious decisions in the offseason, and that's really why I don't have any sympathy for them. Like, sometimes you make a decision and you just get some bad luck. It's like, ah, oh, well, it just didn't work out. Or you bring in a guy with a reputation, like, say, Anthony Barr, and if he doesn't work out, well, I mean, he, he made sense when you brought him in. But they did some curious stuff in this offseason, bro, and if it don't work out, I just personally ain't got no sympathy for him. I'm like, y'all made dumb decisions, and now you got to deal with it. Well, they're counting on Dak Prescott to, to, to be a difference maker, to, to, to make up, you know, for some lesser spots. Do you see Dak being that kind of guy? He's not had to be. This year, you know, he, he, they're asking him to be an elite quarterback, a franchise quarterback, but he got to uplift his team. That's the charge. Not not just be, you know, just a guy that throws to the right places and just throws the guy. You're going to have to make things happen for this offense. Dak ain't never been that guy. That's why they're paying him big bucks. Yeah, they're not. They're paying him, some, they're paying him normal starting quarterback bucks. <laughs> I mean, he's still top five, top six money. I mean, it's not you know, it's not normal starting quarterback. For the forty million, ain't normal yet. Uh, he is the ninth highest paid quarterback. <laughs> I'm just there's saying. I'm just the thirty-two quarterback. But right. he's not. The bottom line is, they're asking more of that. And I ain't mad at Dak. I like that. They, they they need more from that. I like Dak, so I hope he I hope he succeeds. They need more from Dak, and they're asking him to do more. But it also sounds like they're asking him to force it a little bit more often or at least try and get the ball more often to CeeDee Lamb when he hadn't done that before. I mean, there's part of the reason why Amari Cooper's numbers weren't off the chain because he would go, Dak's always been a guy who doesn't really try to to force throws or to take the risky throw. And it, it feels like they're kind of asking him to do that with CeeDee this year. Oh, I, I think that there's one difference that he had more options last year. When you got CeeDee, you got Mike, I mean, and, and and you got Gallup and you got Cedric Wilson and if you, you, you and you got Amari Cooper, you you got more options to go with the ball. I, I think that this year City's gonna get the ball because they ain't got no best throw ball. And and again I think that they're making a conscious effort in how they use the how they're moving around to team him over with things they didn't necessarily do with, with uh Amari Cooper because they didn't think they had to. How's Zeke been looking? I mean, does he look like how he looked early in the season last year, like he's ready to go and healthy again? I mean, he looks fine, but I mean, they didn't really move anybody in the running game. But like, he still needs holes. Same with Tony Pollard. They, yeah. they they need holes to run to. Athletically, health wise, Zeke is fine. Well, I hope so. I picked him up from my fantasy team this year. Come on. <laughs> but, but 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 they need holes to run. Man, this is they, just. They didn't have many today. This conversation is depressing me, Chill. Well, I'm not your fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> I can be real. I know, man, and that's the problem. I mean, Jacques and I have had these conversations so many times. I was like, well, you never know. Maybe he chills out at camp and you see something and it looks better than maybe we thought it would be, and it sounds like it, it's exactly what we thought it was going to be. What? You know, that's, why that, play, that's why they that's play why the game, that, you know? I mean, that's you know, why I have the Eagles pick. Well, we'll see, but if you're, if you're a betting man and betting on the preseason, I'll be betting on the Broncos on, on Saturday. Man, okay, <laughs> so Broncos on Saturday and an ass-whipping. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But if you're a degenerate enough to bet on preseason games, I'm sure there's some of you out there. There's a lot of people out there that do that. Preseason games are about the coach trend. Some coaches play to win, some coaches play to lose. So you bet the coach trend. Yeah. Well, gamblers, gamblers just bet. 
<laughs> well, look, we'll see how it goes. There's still a couple of weeks left in the preseason. They don't have to play Tampa or Cincinnati for almost another month. There's time to figure it out. Yeah, but time is moving fast, bro. You know, and if you're 0-2 that third week, you, you should pick up a win. I mean, it should be okay. Nah, yeah, we will see. Get... I mean, you know, again, you know, Dak is going to get all his work in the practices. I don't know if he'll play it all the preseason. Same with the in many of the starts. You think? But he got a lot of work. He got a lot of work in the practice. He got more work in the practice than he did in what he would have done in the preseason game. Do you think like we're going to see? Do, will we see any starters on Saturday night? I don't think so. Not at all. Wow. Okay. No, it's just it's the back. It's just a young player backup game. All right. No starters. Well, we'll get to see Jalen Tolbert and Dennis Houston. That'll be nice. Get to see. I told Jacques, I was like, what are we going to do if Tyler Smith gets called for two or three holding penalties on a preseason game? (laughs) People go crazy. Oh, yeah, Philip is college. He's still a Philip guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Chill. We appreciate it, man. Thanks for doing it. All right, fellas. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, no problem. All right, there he is, Clarence Hill Jr. of the Fort Worth Star Telegram. I gotta tell you, man. I mean, I'm I'm bringing no sunshine. No, he's not. And I mean, he's a realist. He's like you. I mean, he doesn't necessarily say it's not my job to have faith, hope, and optimism. But he's, you know, of that mindset. I mean, he's given to you about as real as he can. If he if he was seeing stuff jumping out like he did with Micah, he'd tell you. He'd be like, "Oh, this guy. I mean, he's making plays. He's doing this. He's just telling you that through two and a half weeks of training camp so far, he's not seeing a lot of guys doing anything special. Right." Now, he's been saying that for a minute because, you know, we talk all the time. Yeah, this he's is not like, good. I don't see it. <laughs> Damn it. We're going to go 7-10, and 10, huh? Bro, it's a, it's a possibility, bro. Do you think – let me ask you this because when he was talking about and, – and we've talked about this and for whatever reason it's jumped in my mind. With the Cowboys asking Dak to do more and if they roll into the season with this grouping of receivers, do you think they want to see if he can elevate it to that level before they extend him again? Um, that's a good question. That's a dumb approach to take. It is a dumb approach, but I just wonder if they feel like we're going to have to pay this guy. I mean, we're already paying him $40 million. We're probably going to have to pay him $46, $47, 48000000 million on the next contract. Do we want to put that kind of money in a guy that we don't think can raise the level of guys around him? Uh, I, don't know if they, I don't know if they're working like that just because it's the same old question. Okay, fine. Who's your next quarterback? You know, you're kind of committed to Dak. Um, so I, I don't know. That's, that's a great question, but I don't think that's a. I don't think that that's their thought process. I think they just screwed up. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I think they just made some bad decisions, and the fallout from their bad decisions is you're gonna ask Dak to do something that he's not capable of doing, or he hasn't shown he's capable of doing. And there's no shame in that, man. People are who they are. Uh, you know, I was having this discussion with a friend of mine the other day, and uh, he was frustrated because his son wasn't being more assertive on the basketball court during the AE basketball season. It's like, you know, he tells me he wants a scholarship. He's a point guard. He's doing this. He's not being aggressive. Da da da. And I go, dude, is that his personality? To be this aggressive player that you want him to be? Yeah. Because I don't think it is. <laughs> And so you're forever frustrated because you want him to be something that he's not. Right. He's much more of a cerebral guy. And so he's all about how can I get my other teammates involved? How can I do this? Am I running the play the right way, the way the coach runs it? The last thing he's thinking about is let me cross this dude over and take him to the rack. I said, so, and I said, now you could try, 
I said, but I don't know that his personality would be like, that. well, you know, his brother was this, this, this. I said, dude, his brother had a different personality. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you know, but I got friends like that. I got a friend who's like very super aggressive. You should always try to be better. You should, you know, if you can do this, then you can do it more. And you right. can be better and better and better and better and better. And he's always pressing his friends to be, do more, Matt. Come on, man. You don't want to just be the best in Birmingham. You want to go to New York City and be the best. And Matt might be like, bro, I like living in Birmingham, man. The cost of living is great. I get more from my book. They got great breweries here. I am good in Birmingham. And I want to be the best that Birmingham has ever seen. I want to be a legend in Birmingham. Man, but you can do so much more, Matt. Bro, that ain't what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Now, some people be like, man, I never thought about going to New York. You know, the more I think about it, the more it yeah, that's a great idea. Let me let me strive for that. But that ain't everybody's personality, and there's no shame if if it's not because everybody's different. Everybody wants different things, and uh, you know the whole point is if you don't want Dak taking more chances to make more plays and elevate people because what that leads to more turnovers and more mistakes because that ain't what he does. What he does is deliver the ball to the guy who's open, even if it drives you crazy sometimes. Why do they used to call him Dink and Dak Dunk? Or dink and dunk deck. Yeah, yeah. Dink <laughs> because he used to deck. take the underneath open all the time. Sure. And now apparently that's what they want him to do unless CDs open down the field. Right. And so this is going to be a fascinating study to see if he could do that, man, if he can change his characteristics uh, that he's shown thus far and become this uber-aggressive player who lifts everybody. Hopefully he can, but I don't know. Yeah, well, you're not going to find out on Saturday night, Cowboys' first preseason game in Denver. As Chill just told us, none of the starters expected to play. Very interesting. That's the podcast, my friends. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back. We'll talk Cowboys preseason, see if anything jumped out to us on Saturday night. Did we learn anything? Is there maybe Chill's missing something and one of these guys has a little something? I don't know. We'll see, but appreciate it. Again, we appreciate you all very much. Continue telling your friends about it, retweeting it, liking it. When we put it up on social media, it goes a long way to help us. We very much appreciate it, and we will talk to you again on Monday. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.